grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We start today by looking at our first sense, the sense of sight. Have you ever had a doctor look inside your eye? An eye doctor or your own doctor, and they use a special light. Maybe they use some extra instruments to look inside your eye. And have you thought about how amazing that is that out of all our body parts, the eye is the only one from the outside where somebody can look right into you. Proverbs 20 says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both. Dr. David Menton has a YouTube presentation based on this passage. He calls it the hearing ear and the seeing eye. Dr. Menton is a creation scientist, and he's also a member of the CLC, the congregation in St. Louis, and he works at the Creation Museum. He has a presentation called The Seeing Eye, where he points out how amazing the eye is, so much so that it continues to confuse evolutionists. The eye is so complex, and evolutionists cannot explain why, as you look at the timeline of evolution that they would believe in, there's no change. It's complex for the simplest of creatures, from a bird to a fish to an ape, all the way up to a human. It's complex. There's no progressive change that evolution can show how the eye developed. Instead, it's just an amazing design. It points to the wonders of God. Menton also shows how the eye is actually part of the brain. It's attached to the brain. The eye provides a lens to capture and process light. You might say that the eye is indeed a window. In fact, Jesus says that. The eye is the window to the soul. It's a piece of transparent skin that lets light in, and then inside the eye there are dead cells that fill up with a crystal-like material to process light. That material brings the light in, and then in the back of the eye, the brain is attached to the eye so that it can process that light into images, where your mind begins to now see through the eye, and your imagination begins to capture things, memories, feelings, perception. It's amazing. The eye is about more than just the eye. In our story for today, for the first day, the Pharisees could not see properly. They could not see what God wanted them to see. They saw only what their proud minds would allow. They had spent so much of their life training their mind to only see what they approved of, what they thought reasonable, ignoring and turning away from anything they thought that was too ugly to be associated with God. But Jesus, in John chapter 9, uses something that's ugly, something that's broken, something that's crooked, to show where the beauty of God is really going to be seen. He sees a blind man who's been born blind from birth, and the disciples ask him, was it this man's fault or his parents' fault that he's blind? And Jesus says, neither. In fact, Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. The question was not, why was this man blind? 
instead the question is, how is God going to use the blindness to show his purpose? Instead of focusing on why something bad happened, Jesus wants us to focus on him, how he is working out his glory even when bad things happen. He says to the man, I am the light of the world. And he spits on the ground and he makes mud. He mushes the mud paste into his hands and then he puts it on the man's eyes. From his spit to the mud to the man's eyes, Jesus is in touch with creation as God made it, even in the messy, muddy part of it. And from those eyes, Jesus brings healing. He tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and when the man comes back, he sees. But what does he see? What is the world that he sees now that his eyes are opened? It's more than just the world he knew before. Instead, it's a world with Jesus in it. And this is where the Pharisees do not see. They're blind, Jesus says. He says they're blind because they claim they can see, but they really can't. They don't have the eyes of faith. They don't see in this man the glory of God being worked out. It is through the eyes of faith that we see Jesus in every event. No matter how ugly or broken it might be, Jesus is working. And there we can see his glory when he gives us faith. So he says it was not the man that sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So we'll sing our first hymn, Amazing Grace. Our second day of Vacation Bible School is about the sense of smell. Now you're probably wondering, how could Pastor come up with a Bible story that teaches the glory of smell? Well, there is actually one, the story of Noah. After the flood, Noah comes out of the ark, and the first thing he does is he makes an offering to the Lord. And when he does that, the smoke and the smell from the sacrifice go up to heaven. And it says that the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, the pleasing aroma of that sacrifice, and the Lord was pleased. There are one trillion distinct smells in the world, supposedly. I don't know who counted them. It is through smelling that we actually taste and understand the world around us. Smell allows us to have memories. You remember a home-cooked meal that was your, one of your favorites, and when you smell that meal cooking, even as a child or a grown-up, you remember something. You have a feeling. Now, some smells can also evoke negative thoughts like fear and disgust. And we added a verse to the song, Oh, be careful what you see, to Oh, be careful what you smell. But even there, we're seeing how we're connected between God's created world and then what we're processing inside of ourselves. God sent a flood to wash the whole earth. The earth had become so sinful in the days of Noah, so corrupt that it says they did evil all the time. It's all they thought about. It's all they did. God was very sad. He was pained in his heart. He was sad that all of this had happened. 
It hurts God when we sin. But God still loved the world, and there was one family that still loved him. It was Noah's family. Noah believed and walked with God, and God saved Noah from the flood by commanding him to build the ark and rescuing him and his family and also the animals. When Noah came out of the ark, the world had to start all over again. God had told Noah to bring the animals on the ark, and he brought extra animals of the clean animals, which were those who would be dedicated to sacrifices. And so from those clean animals, Noah gave an offering. In chapter 8 of Genesis, we read, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Even though the Lord knew the sinful intentions of man was not going to end just because Noah was the only family left. No, it was still carried on. But yet he still preserves the world. He supplies us with food and clothing and every season for seed and harvest. You can remember the Lord when you step out your front door and smell the things around you, the world he's preserved, a morning sunrise and the fresh smell of air when it's not quite so foggy and humid as we're used to this month. You can remember the Lord when you cut the grass and smell the fresh cut field. You can remember the Lord when you smell the flowers blooming. You can remember the Lord when you stand in the door of your garage watching a fresh rainfall. That rain is also another reminder. God could have destroyed us all, but he didn't. He had mercy. And with that rain, he waters the earth and brings forth more harvest, more food for us to smell. The Lord smelled Noah's barbecue, and that smell was pleasing to him. I imagine when you barbecue, that smell is pleasing to you. The Lord blessed Noah because he saw Noah's repentant heart and thankful attitude of faith. So when we smell a good cooked meal in the kitchen or on the grill, we're reminded that the Lord did not destroy the world and that we keep on smelling good things. When we see a rainbow in the sky, we remember he promises to continue to provide for this world. Even when times are tough, he is still merciful. And so we'll sing Beautiful Savior. It's in the black hymnal in your pews, hymn 129, stanzas 1 through 3. decided yet what your favorite sense is many of us it's eating food and tasting the blessings of god's creation 
But what would a meal be without taste? Your tongue has somewhere between 2,000 and 10,000 taste buds. But it's not just your tongue that tastes, it's actually a process of a number of different things. Your taste buds are connected to your nose. So you don't just taste with your tongue, you taste with your nose. And your nose receives molecules of food which travel to nerve endings in your nose, and then your nose tells your brain what to taste. In fact, if a person can't smell, they can't taste. In your brain, then, it interprets what that taste is, whether it's bitter or sour or sweet or salty. You might even say that you taste with your brain. God, indeed, places a great emphasis on the blessings of food. From the very beginning, he intended to feed us. He gives us a variety of fruit, vegetables, meats, and drinks, more than we can count. In the Old Testament, he instructed Israel to hold feasts to the Lord, where they would celebrate by eating a meal. Jesus taught many times about banquets, and how the kingdom of heaven is like a feast that a king holds in honor of his son's wedding. Wouldn't that be a great meal? While tasting your favorite food is great, don't forget that God also has a purpose on the opposite end with hunger. Hunger teaches us something very important. Jesus says that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. That hunger is a symbol of our longing for God. We need to eat again and again, meaning that we have to rely on God to keep satisfying the needs of our body. Sometimes God takes away blessings, makes us hungry in different ways. Sometimes we need to cut back, go on a diet, eat less, eat healthier. But this is all a symbol of faith. Jesus even instructs us to fast from time to time so we can learn self-control and to give thanks and not take our blessings for granted. This is what Jacob and Esau were not thinking about. Their minds were somewhere else. Their minds were only on earthly things. And they got into this disagreement about the blessing. In our story, we found two brothers who were twins from birth. Now, the firstborn was Esau. Normally, the firstborn would be the one to inherit the birthright, which is the privilege of the oldest son to take over the family business and be in charge. It was also assumed because Jesus, because Esau was the firstborn that he would get the blessing of Abraham, the blessing that God said to have many descendants and to inherit the land of Canaan. When Jacob and Esau had grown up, Esau came in from the field after hunting. He was famished after being out there working all day. Jacob had made a meal, but he wasn't ready to share it. Instead, he made a deal. He tricked Esau into giving up his firstborn rights. He told Esau that he would not give him anything to eat until he swore to give him the firstborn inheritance. And Esau figured it was a careless promise. He didn't care, and he gave it over just for a meal of stew. In the end, because he took it so lightly, 
Esau did end up losing the blessing. It's easy to take God's blessings for granted, especially when we always have food on our table, when the shelves in the supermarket are always filled to the full of the things that we taste. And then when little inconveniences come our way, when we don't get waited on quickly enough at a restaurant, or someone gets your order wrong, we suddenly are ready to throw it all away. What would you trade for the blessing of a meal? Esau took his blessing for granted, and now God reminds us never to take these blessings for granted. And Jacob wasn't much better because rather than sharing freely, he tricked his brother to get something for himself. But God is teaching us that he shares everything with us. His whole creation is freely given to us to share. The blessings of taste, food, water, the blessings of having a full stomach. Life is not a deal to be traded or manipulated for our advantage. Not your workplace, not your friendships. So Jesus himself came to this world for us to fast, to be hungry. He laid down his life and now he shares all good things with us. He shares salvation freely with us. He even shares a meal with us. The Lord's Supper is Jesus's meal that he shares where we can actually taste salvation. In the bread, which is his body, and in the wine, which is his blood, we taste salvation. As Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so we'll sing about this. Our next hymn is, What is this bread? Stanzas 1, 2, and 4, and let's rise to sing this hymn. In our fourth lesson, we learn about hearing. As I said at the beginning, Dr. David Menton has a lot to say about the wonders of hearing. In fact, he has an hour-long presentation on the miracle of hearing, how the ear works. He has a fascinating explanation of how hearing works in the tiniest vibrations of our eardrum. The way that hearing works is that when a sound is made, it travels through the air by air particles. The sound pushes the air molecules and waves until it comes to our ear. The energy created by that reaches our ear, and that little bit of air movement that we can't feel with any other part of our body is felt by our eardrum. The way they measure this pressure is something called an atmosphere. Now, Menton talks about this measure of pressure called an atmosphere. For instance, if you were out at Edisto Beach at sea level, you would be at one atmosphere. That's the pressure at sea level. And then as you go up, the pressure changes. As you go up into the mountains, for instance, drive up I-26 and you get into the mountains, you're going to feel your ears pop. You're going to notice there's, the air is a little thinner and the pressure is decreasing. The human ear registers sound at a level of 1 to the 10 to the negative 10th atmosphere. 
1 times 10 to the negative 10th. And since a lot of you probably don't know how to measure that, if Bob Long were here, he'd probably appreciate this. Dr. Menton shows how this small, tiny, uncalculable change is like climbing up a mountain. And he says that he has a mountain called Mount Menton, and he takes out a piece of cardboard, says, this is Mount Menton, and he has a mountain drawn on it, but then he flips the cardboard sideways and lays it flat on the ground. And he says the change in air pressure is like stepping up onto a piece of cardboard and then stepping back down. And that's his mountain, stepping up, stepping down. And the change is so small, it amounts to one thirty thousandth of an inch. That is the amount of pressure that your eardrum is registering, that change, just a small vibration. Do you think God wants us to be sensitive to hearing down to the very smallest voice, but the most important one, God wants us to be more attuned to hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And if our ears are constantly bombarded with noise all the time, when are we taking the time to hear the still small voice? To the smallest voice, the smallest word of scripture, our story today takes us back to the life of a young boy named Samuel, who was a priest. When Samuel was a boy, his mother dedicated him to the Lord, and so he worked at the house in Shiloh as a priest. He was under another priest named Eli. As he was lying down to bed one night, he heard a voice call to him. It was the Lord, but he did not know it. He went to Eli... And Eli told him to go back, go back to bed. It wasn't him. It happened again, and it happened again. And then the fourth time, Eli told him to go back, and this time respond, Speak, O Lord, your servant is listening. It was on this time that Samuel went back to bed and said, Speak, O Lord, your servant is listening, that the voice of the Lord came to him. Samuel grew into a great prophet for the Lord. He listened to the Lord's voice all his life. The Lord warned him at times, the Lord encouraged him, the Lord instructed him, and the same should be true for us. We should be praying, speak, O Lord, your servant is listening. In the quiet moments, bedtime, in the morning, in the quiet places, and like Samuel, there's going to be times when we don't understand. When we think it's one thing, but we're not getting the answers. We keep going to Eli, expecting him to tell us what it means. But he cannot. Instead, we go back to scripture. We go back to the word and prayer. And we don't just talk, but we listen. What is he saying? And so we grow more and more sensitive to even the smallest changes in atmosphere of our spiritual lives. We'll sing about this in the words of him, the hymn printed in your bulletin, Blessed Jesus at thy word, that stanzas two and three printed for you. Our last story for Vacation Bible School 
teaches about the sense of feeling. And you can imagine all of the fun VBS activities that the teachers got to do, allowing the kids to touch. And there's so many things that we can touch that we feel that are real to us, both outwardly and inwardly. We've been looking at all the five senses and seeing that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that all of these senses direct us back to the glory of a God who designed and created us, not the process of random chance over millions of years, a God with a purpose. And all of those senses are what help us interpret the world. But we should never forget that while those senses teach us something about God, they come up short from teaching us everything about God. Because what is real for us is not just what we see and hear and smell and touch all around us in creation, but what God does through his spirit within us. There's something even more real there about truth, which is why Jesus has to say to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, who have not touched, who have not been physically with the Lord Jesus, but yet who believe. Thomas is one of the last of the disciples to see the Lord after his resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples that evening, and they were able to listen to him, spend time with him, and then he went away. But Thomas wasn't there. And when Thomas returns the next Sunday, the disciples say, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas doesn't believe them. He says, unless I see it with my own eyes, unless I put my hand on the wounds in his wrist and the wound in his side, I won't believe you. Yes, we all are a bit skeptical about things, and maybe we've known those who are skeptical like Thomas. The sense of touch is very important to us. It's what helps us know what is real. But sometimes there are things we can't touch that are also real. What about worries, sadness, guilt, anger? Can you touch those things? Are they real? Do you feel them? Do they affect you? The disciples were afraid. Jesus had died. And they were hiding in their room. But Jesus appears to them to calm their fears. He doesn't just appear as a spirit, but he appears in a physically resurrected body so that they can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has risen. Jesus wanted to be sure that the testimony of his resurrection was proven. And he appeared to many people while he walked the earth after his death. The disciples saw him. They felt the wounds. They felt the side. And when Thomas saw and touched, he believed. Jesus had to rebuke Thomas for this. Because Jesus knew that beyond the disciples who knew him in those 40 days, there would be many, many people, yourselves included, that would not get to touch the wound. And so Jesus sent his Holy Spirit so that you can believe in what you can't see, so that you can know 
even with the feelings of sadness or fear or anger or guilt, that inside of you, Jesus has blessed you. He is with you. He is comforting you. And his resurrection was proven and assured by those who saw him and touched him. He's taken away your sins. He's freed you from worries. He's victorious over death. In all of this, we are given faith to believe. Death is a very real thing. But Jesus has overcome it. And by hearing this testimony, we too overcome it. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen.